0: Hi, I'm uh, Gavin Giovinoni. I'm a neurologist at and London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'd like to wish you a very happy new year. I've just got back from a very refreshing break uh, in the north of uh, Norfolk. Uh, although the weather wasn't very nice, I had an opportunity to uh, rest, uh, re- read a lot, uh, walk uh, and reflect on the last year or last two years and what's going to happen in the future. And I think 2022 is going to be a very different year, not only from a personal perspective, but from an MS perspective, because I think a lot of advances and new trials are going to start addressing this issue of uh, what I call smoldering uh, multiple sclerosis. This is a case study about an individual person with MS who has had their dosing of ocraluzumab extended uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I assume for safety reason, and their last infusion that was meant to happen a few months ago has been delayed pending uh, vaccine responses. Despite not having any relapses or MRI activity, this patient has noticed worsening of their uh, MS function, uh, their functioning, suggesting that they have ongoing uh, smoldering MS. And the question is, is it okay to be on this intermittent adaptive dose of or not? So I've thought about this case study for a while, and I've started off by reflecting on how we, the MS community, don't seem to learn the lessons that other academics, other researchers have taught us over the last 20 to 30 years. And one of my mentors, uh, Professor George Ebers, who is a neurologist uh, in Canada, he's now retired, uh, noticed the lack of correlation between relapses and MRI activity and long-term outcome Uh, 25 years ago, and was trying to convince the MS community that we should not be blinkered uh, and focus on MRI and relapses because the real MS was uh, continuing. Uh, Nobody listened to George. He tried to start a data sharing initiative called the Sylvia Lowry Center. And uh, unfortunately, this was uh, not funded further, so the, uh, the big sharing data that was meant to be in the civilary Center wasn't extended beyond the placebo arms. But even in the placebo arms of clinical trials, they showed there that relapses and uh, MRI activity were poor predictors uh, of outcome. George subsequently refined his uh, observations because uh, he did notice that very early relapses in the first two years did have some prediction in terms of long-term outcome. And this kind of gelled with some of the uh, long-term MRI, clinically isolated syndrome cohorts, showing that people that had quite a lot of activity in the first five years did worse than those with less activity. I say did worse. The prediction, however, was not that strong. So there was something else driving uh, long-term outcomes uh, rather than just MRI activity and relapses. Um, I think what we begin to realize now that these observations were made quite a while back in people that weren't on disease-modifying treatments and the disease-modifying treatments have changed or disconnected what i call inflammatory focal events uh, and long-term outcome we do know however that if you are on a treatment and you continue to have relapses and mri activity it means that therapy is failing you and it's not controlling whatever's causing ms uh, adequately so please Even if you are relapsed and MRI activity-free, that does not mean your MS is not getting worse. Uh, And this is what I now refer to as smoldering disease. I like the term smoldering because it shifts the emphasis from what I call the clinical radiological worldview of MS, where we just think of multiple sclerosis as clinical events or worsening disability and what happens on an MRI scan. It makes us think about the pathology, what's happening inside the brain and spinal cord of people with multiple sclerosis. We've got to start thinking about this disease as biological and get away from our quite narrow worldviews that we've had up until now if we want to change. And it's clear that we need to go way beyond what I call naida, no evidence of inflammatory disease activity. We have to stop over it, it's causing smoldering MS. So this means we have to stop the accelerated brain volume loss that occurs in people with MS. We have to stop those slowly expanding lesions getting worse. We need to switch off innate microglial activation. We have to clear the brain of plasma cells and B cells and oligoclonal bands. All those processes that we think are driving MS um, beneath the surface need to be targeted with add-on therapies. Now, one of the other hypotheses, and I say it's an hypothesis because what I'm saying now is not proven. It's just a you know, a, a proposal that what's driving the ongoing smoldering process is maybe viral activity within the brain. And that's another reason why we need to do antiviral studies. And as you know, the virus that closely linked to MS is the Epstein-Barr virus. And we have to, in the future, trial anti-EBV drugs uh, as follow-on agents from our anti-inflammatories. So this newsletter is really a call to arms for the MS community to change their focus from just thinking MS was being focal inflammatory events. Um, I also uh, reflect on some of my thinking that goes back 20 or more years. When I was doing my PhD, um, I kind of evolved the concept that MS was like a infectious disease and the phenotype, what we see from a clinical perspective, is modified by the inf- superimposed inflammation. What's causing this disease underlies the inflammation. And I wrote a book chapter uh, bringing forward some of these ideas and some of the concepts that George Ebers spoke about, uh, which I called the yin and yang of inflammation in multiple sclerosis. And when I reread that book chapter a few months ago, I, uh, very little has changed. Maybe some of the subtleties and some of the biomarkers that we've evolved over the last 20 years have uh, added to that. But the concepts are much the same now as we had 20 years ago. And that's the real sadness of this, is that 20 years on, we probably no further forward in tackling smoldering MS. Then one of the reasons for this is that, you know, when we want to do trials of add-on drugs, the regulators, this is the FDA, European Medicine Agency, don't like you doing combinations of two new drugs they want you to add on to existing therapies Uh, and also when you're doing what I would call trials to tackle smoldering MS uh, they also want you to use the uh, expanded disability status scale EDSS which is a really poor scale for measuring uh, worsening MS outside of inflammatory events and so the trials have to be very large. You know, we're talking two thousand plus patients per arm and they have to be three, four, five years long to show an impact. And when you start doing the maths, you realize how expensive and risky these are for, for, say, the pharmaceutical industry to take on, which is why the pharmaceutical industry, who understand the need to do trials in smoldering MS, haven't uh, taken on uh, combination therapy trials as much as as they should. And even the uh, small numbers that have been done in so-called reparative therapies have been negative so far. So this is a real problem. So I would love to take this forward and I would like to encourage you to come forward with your own stories um, because sometimes stories are better than science in nudging communities and people to think differently about the the disease. Now coming back to this question about adaptive dosing of avoculuzumab, you know, is it as good as the six-monthly dose? And I don't think it is because we don't have data. So nobody's really compared these two strategies of the six-monthly dosing versus, say, every nine, 12 months based on B-cell uh, counts. And in other words, when your B-cells start coming back, you get a, another course. And a lot of neurologists have adopted this already. They are doing adaptive dosing, and they're basing it on the assumption that because we don't see any relapses, MRI activity, these two strategies are equivalent. And I disagree because we now know from an analy- an, an analyzing the data from both the relapsing, remitting, the so-called OPERA. Uh, one and two studies, uh, and the primary progressive, the Oratoria study, uh, that, which were the phase three trials that got ocrelizumab licensed as a treatment for both relapsing forms and primary progressive MS. We now know that the level of drug exposure predicted outcome. What I mean by this is that we used fixed dosing. So in the trial, everybody got 600 milligrams intravenously every six months, and that was it. However, if you're a small person, you got a much higher dose than if you were a large person. So let's take a 60-kilogram person. They would be getting uh, 10 milligrams per kilogram every six months. If you were twice that size, 120 kilograms, you were getting half the dose, five milligrams per per kilogram every six months. And we now know that the level of B cell depletion were different between those two sized people. And so what we did in the post-hoc analysis, we actually divided up the population into what we call quartiles based on amount of drug in the peripheral blood, and we put them into four quartiles. The bottom quartile had the lowest drug levels, okay, with the least B-cell depletion, and the one in the top quartile had the highest blood levels of ocraluzumab and the highest B-cell depletion. And it was quite clear there was no difference from quartile one to four when you looked at relapses and MRI activity. They they were equivalent. So the, the assumption is, well, these things are equivalent to each other in terms of effectiveness. But no, when you actually looked at disability progression, in other words, worsening of disability, those with the highest drug levels did the best, uh, significantly better than those with lower drug levels, and that didn't only apply to the relapsing MS population, but we also saw it in the so-called more difficult to treat primary progressive patients, and this has led to uh, Rose Genentech, the uh, trial sponsors, doing two large trials of testing higher dose ocrelizumab versus standard dose, so Uh, This is, instead of 600, either 1,200 or 1,800 milligrams every six months. And we think we need the higher doses to go into the brain or maybe somewhere in the deep tissue to actually deplete those uh, memory B cells or the B cells in those compartments where the low doses aren't getting. So no, I don't think we have enough evidence to suggest that adaptive or delayed dosing of oculizumab is as good as standard uh, standard uh, dose uh, oculizumab. Of course, of our observations and the data we analyzed uh, in the OPERA 1, 2 and Oratorio trials. So this particular case study is worrying. I, I don't know if that patient is doing worse because of the fact that they haven't had sufficient oculizumab dosing, or they would have done or got, got worse anyway because ocrelizumab isn't that effective. It is partially effective at switching some of the smoldering processes. We now know that people on they do have um, an impact on the so called slowly expanding lesion. Their lesions expand more slowly than people not on it. But it's not a big treatment effect. So I don't know if that patient would have got worse anyway, even if they would remained on a six monthly. Now, a lot of neurologists are doing this adaptive dosing not based on effectiveness but based on the fact they think it's safer. In other words, by giving it every 9 or 12 or 15 months and waiting waiting for B-cells to come back before redosing, they say, well, this is going to be much, much safer. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I've looked at the data that's available in the literature. And what I can tell you, if you just stop oculizumab uh, and, le- and let the B-cells come back, say, over uh, 18, 24, 36. Yes, then it is safer because your B cells are coming back and your immune system is recovering. But when you're giving it every 9, 12 months and you're only allowing the B cells to come back for a few months before you deplete them again, and you're not allowing those memory B cells and the immune system to come back to normal, I have no idea if that's safer. And We don't have data yet from the uh, registry studies to suggest it's safer. So I don't know if this... Uh, perceived uh, logic that uh, adaptive dosing is safer than standard interval dosing, um, which has been promoted, is correct. This is why we have to do randomized controlled trials to test the hypothesis that delayed or adaptive dosing of rocaluzumab is safer than standard interval dosing. And at the same time, we shouldn't just rely on relapses and MRI activity to say it's equivalent in terms of effectiveness, because that's not the real MS. What we really need to do in those trials is look at progressive or accelerated brain volume loss, disability progression, neurofilament levels, other biomarkers that are measuring smoldering MS, to be confident that uh, adaptive dosing is as effective uh, as um, standard interval dosing. And I also think we also need to wait for these other two high dose trials, the relapsing and the primary progressive trials, to report out before making this uh, assumption and the statement that these dose, dosing uh, strategies are, are equivalent. So I hope I've answered the questions. And <laughs> um, I think most of the issues I discuss in this uh, newsletter, which, I, because for the first one of the year is quite long, uh, should be well known to the Uh, a reader of this newsletter. But if there are any questions around some of the issues, please uh, uh, ask and I'll respond. And if you think anybody who you know, be it a healthcare professional or another person with MS or somebody who's interested in MS, please forward the email uh, onto them. Um, I'm happy for other people to receive these uh, newsletters. And I'd just like to thank everybody who is uh, actually subscribing to the newsletter. I'm getting to a point where I'm hopefully... um, will be in a position to uh, launch the website. We're planning to launch the associated MS Selfie website in about three to four months uh, as a beta version. Um, and I've got a medical writer who um, has just started working on it and she sent me some early drafts, which I'll be going through over the next few weeks. And we'll start um, populating the website. So uh, I really would like to thank you all for supporting the MS Selfie initiative and for subscribing. Uh, and hopefully the re- online resource will be a useful a resource for all people with multiple sclerosis. Um, finally, um, I want to highlight that I have got a conflict of interest in relation to this particular newsletter. Uh, you know, as an academic neurologist, I uh, am involved in doing research and one of the roles I've taken is I'm a steering committee I sit on the, com- the committee that designed these high-dose studies. And as you know, this is sponsored by Roche, uh, who uh, reimburses us for our time on the steering committee. So you need to keep that in mind that I am uh, conflicted in that I would obviously be promoting um, the high-dose studies uh, and waiting for those results before making uh, any announcement about the routine adoption of adaptive dosing of oculizumab, which I think is premature.